Welcome to the Lemper Report Live. Happy Valentine's Day. We took a look back in our archives and decided to repost a column on aphrodisiac foods. It's what you and your special one should be eating today. Sally, happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, Phil. Uh, talking about uh, foods that are aphrodisiacs today, I wanted to start with just uh, kind of letting people know that we don't really have medical science that proves that these foods can actually increase desire. However, they what? do... Sh <laughs> what? what? Listen, there are okay. some foods that do increase blood flow, and then there's aromas and textures in eating certain foods that also add to what we might call increasing love and romance and desire on Valentine's Day. <laughs> so, And let's... Sorry. Uh, that's okay. I wanted to start off with a, a you know a couple of them. Share a couple of them with, and I know you want to talk about a really big one, um, chocolate, which is what, I think what everybody wants on Valentine's Day. But just a couple of other examples, and I've chosen the ones that are high in zinc this year because I think that being healthy is actually attractive this year, <laughs> considering yep. what we've been through with COVID. So um, let's start with oysters, the classic aphrodisiac. They're very high in zinc and iron and nutrients and a great, great food to enjoy with your your date tonight if you'd like. And also pine nuts, which is one that I, we don't really think about as an aphrodisiac food, but it is also full of zinc and um, has some great uh, minerals and nutrients in it that um, some believe actually do stimulate libido. And also, before I get to the chocolate, let's not forget the reason that all this Valentine stuff is bright red is the color red actually gets our heart palpitating. Um, just seeing that color, which is why so many of the products, um, not only on Valentine's Day, but otherwise, even when you look at the frozen food case, you know, has that red color because it really, you know, creates a lot of adrenaline for us. Uh, but the good news or the bad news, depending on where you're coming from on chocolate, is Hershey's has reported out of stocks on their Valentine's Day candy of about 20%. Now, typically since the pandemic, it's been 12 to 15% pre-pandemic about 7%. So clearly what we're seeing is less Valentine's Day candy out there, at least from Hershey's. And also the price of chocolate has gone up dramatically. And in fact, um, it's up about 8% and it's expected to go even higher. So check it out on supermarketguru.com for a lot of surprises as it relates to aphrodisiac foods. Uh, today, an Instacart shopper gets even with a customer. We take a look at the future and past of supermarket design. Stop and Shop takes a lead in produce prescriptions. Question is, is it time to dust off the Robinson-Packman Act? Yet there's another fallout from the pandemic. We're gonna take a special look at Miller Lite through the metaverse. And on the Lemper Report, we wonder what happened to Bob the Butcher? Where is he? The Morning Fix visits a seven-acre state-of-the-art greenhouse, and the bullseye wants to scare you to eat healthier. Lots going on today. So, Sally, let's get started. Well, Phil, let's start today with this Instacart shopper situation. Um, so an Instacart shopper went on TikTok, which is hugely popular, and she just, I guess, went 
off about this request that she got um, from a customer. There were things in the list, um, you know, very aggressive things in the list, like please take a picture of your bags um, that keep the foods cool so that I know that they're they're insulated well enough and I can approve them. Um, she was very demanding about communication throughout the store. And so this, this Instacart shopper denied the order, but also went on TikTok and complained about it. And it has almost 160,000 views with over 1,400 comments. So let's take a look. We're going to play you this TikTok video. And then I've got a comment that, as I've been watching this and thinking about it, that may be behind the whole thing. So, Tony, let's let's play it. Guys, I am screaming right now. This customer left this note in her order, and I am shocked. Please read this, please. She's going to say, please send me a photo of your insulated cooling bags in your shopping cart immediately before shopping. Otherwise, I will call Instacart promptly and cancel this order to reschedule with a different shopper. What? If you don't have the insulated cooling bags or enough of them to keep my food items temperature controlled, or you do have the insulated cooling bags but only plan on using them during delivery, then don't pick up my order. Some shoppers leave their cooling bags in their cars and only use them during delivery. Not acceptable. She says, also, if you're doing batch orders, then don't pick up my order. I've had too many groceries to spoil because it takes longer to do batch shopping. What? She said, please respond to my messages promptly while shopping and follow my shopping slash bagging slash delivery instructions per item, especially if I have chicken, meat, and milk in my order. Please make sure after checkout that my items are bagged properly per my instructions since the grocery bagger won't know what they are. Woo, y'all can read the rest. Good luck to who got this because I would my pants if I had this order. Now, I give this Instacart shopper a lot of credit. There's no question about it. I can feel her anger. But Sally, I have to wonder, I mean, this is great PR for Instacart. Do you think maybe they put her up to it? I'm not sure, but I do, but I do feel her frustration. And I think that we do need um, to educate customers on how to treat these workers a little bit better. Um, hopefully this doesn't happen to them often, but uh, but there have been a lot of people going on social media that, that have these jobs and complaining about these this type of um, behavior from, from customers. So now you're an Instacart shopper and you complain about Instacart and now you're complaining about the customer. It is not <laughs> a job that I want, want to have, uh, but there is a job that I'd like to have and it's all about designing supermarkets. Tell us about that. Well, Phil, are you familiar with the director, John Chu? Of course, you know, Crazy Rich Asians. I love that. I think I've seen that like three times. <laughs> yeah, he's also it. he's also the director. He is the director of Crazy Rich Asians and also the director of In the Heights, which is um, a which is the adaptation, the film adaptation of the musical, which is all about this uh, Latino community. So he has a lot of experience in celebrating ethnic culture, telling stories. And so it makes a lot of sense that the Asian retailer, we, has now hired him as their chief creative director. So I love this, um, but let me let me fast track back probably about 30 years ago. Uh, Grain Union Supermarket, which, you know, as many people who are watching this might remember, was a leading retailer. They had over 800 stores in their prime. And what they did is they actually went out and hired one of my teachers from Pratt, Milton Glazer. And, and uh, Glazer designed all kinds of, of fabulous 
um, logos. He actually came up with the I Love New York theme. And Milton Glaser redesigned Grand Union supermarkets. And take a look, you know, at some of these pictures of what he did for the herb section, what he did for the outside of the store. I mean, private label, nobody had ever done private label packaging like this. Now, these pictures are black and white, but they were in full color. And just if you look how the, the cat's heads, you know, butt up against each other, it was brilliant. Now, Obviously, it did not do a lot uh, for for longevity of Grand Union, but it wasn't his fault. Uh, the owner of Grand Union at the time uh, passed away. It was then into a different company and so on, and they just didn't continue it. But I love this idea, uh, the fact that we can go outside of our industry and go to other brilliant people to design our supermarkets of the future. Thumbs up in a in a big way. Um, and Stop and Shop is also leading the pack with yet another new program, right? Yes, and I love this program. Um, NGA is teaming up with grocers for a food as medicine project. Um, they, they've made these videos, they're, they're working with Daily Table and Stop and Shop on these testimonial videos, um, encouraging retailers <clears throat> to become a part of this wonderful program that is um, providing food prescriptions. These are prescriptions for fruits and vegetables for people who are living with chronic disease, but are also living with food insecurity. And the more that we can educate people uh, to this, and the more we can empower them, the better. I mean, for years, for, for 30 years, the produce industry has tried to up the game as it relates to how many pieces of produce we eat every day. It hasn't worked. Hopefully this video series, especially with the powerhouse of Stop and Shop behind it, you know, can actually work. Uh, new controversy coming out of Washington about the Robinson-Patman Act. Uh, now, when I was growing up in the industry, everybody pointed to the Robinson-Patman Act as being, you know, what our industry needed uh, to prevent uh, problems with one retailer getting a bill but getting a better deal than the other retailer. Uh, but it looks like in the past probably 30 years, nobody's really reinforced anything. What's going on there? Um, yes, Phil, the, this, this act, as you said, was signed into law in 1936 by President Franklin Roosevelt, but it's, but it's not really been enforced since around 1970. Um, and it was, a, it was a tool to, um, <clears throat> to help target um, buying power to keep to keep competition fair in between the bigger retailers and the smaller retailers. If the bigger retailer can get a better price from suppliers, then the smaller retailer has less of a chance of being able to compete. So I think now is that some people are looking at this right now and thinking, is this what we need right now to sort of balance the playing field out there right now? Because we've got large retailers like Amazon and Walmart that um, probably have a lot more power when it comes to um, getting better prices from suppliers. And the reality is during the pandemic, what we found is a lot of those independent grocers did far better of a job of keeping their supplies on shelf, uh, dealing with customers in a, in a better way. So, you know, I for one wish that we'd have you know, some some more oomph behind this and really help out those independent and smaller grocers. And by the way, when I'm talking about smaller grocers, I'm talking about grocers that have 
200 stores, 300 stores, down to the one store operator um, to be able to compete with the likes, as you pointed out, of Amazon and Walmart. Um, you know, the pandemic has taught us a lot, um, I think, as it relates to food. But this is the first time I'm seeing anything about the pandemic as it relates to our pets. What's going on? Phil, I got to share a personal story with you because uh, when I saw that we were going to be talking about I, I looked at one of my dogs this morning and I thought, oh my gosh, you know, he's looking a little pudgy. So I did go running this morning with all three of my dogs. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're working on that. But yes, uh, we're seeing studies showing that nearly 40% of dogs have gained weight during the COVID-19 pandemic. And um, this is sort of like, you know, if the owner is gaining weight, then the pet's gaining weight. Absolutely. And talking about gaining weight, uh, right before the broadcast today, I got this really cool box. I, it came from Coca-Cola and I can't drink this yet. It's a new product called Starlight, if you can see it. Um, they have the press party, virtual press party on the 17th. So they told me I can't do it. It's zero sugar, not for, not for your pets. But what they also sent me is this really goofy hat. And it, it's kind of cool. It says it's a bucket hat. Yeah. It's a what hat? A bucket hat. A, is that what it's called? So mm -hmm. I now have a bucket hat, a tie dye bucket hat, but I'm not going to put it on because I would look even more foolish with it. <laughs> so, but on the 17th, so next Monday, I'll tell you how Starlight actually tasted um, and whether or not it's a hit or a miss. Uh, so from there, let's go to the Lemper Report. Ah, sorry, I screwed up. We're going to talk about the Super Bowl. We're going to talk about meta food. We're going to talk about the whole metaverse. Um, and, you know, you know my opinions on it. It's nothing more than Second Life, but now with a lot more money behind it. Um, and Sally, you actually tried um, with Eli, your son, to, to get part of this metaverse that was part of the Super Bowl. Tell us about that. Yes, we did. I have a very tax, tech, tech savvy son, as a lot of kids are today. And uh, my son actually owns an Oculus, which is one of the, the VR standalone headsets where you can um, get, you know, get involved in all these worlds and games and things. So we wanted to check out um, what Miller Lite was doing in the metaverse. And so I asked him if he would help me. Uh, we tried to log on on my Mac. We tried to log on on a PC and we tried logging on with the Oculus and we were unsuccessful with all three. Um, so I'm not exactly sure why, but I hope that they will, you know, as they move forward with these metaverse worlds that they're encouraging people to go, that they will make them a lot easier for you to access. But I did take a look at the commercial, which is the first big game commercial ever in the metaverse. And I watched that this morning um, on YouTube. And it was really um, it was really interesting to see, you know, an avatar commercial within there. They made some jokes and took a shot at the Clydesdales for Budweiser. Um, they had they had all kinds of um, pop culture references and and it was really kind of cool. But we'll see if people are able to find out how to get in there and get involved. So what I want everybody to do, Tony's going to play this clip. 
uh, for us, but I want you to pay attention to the last sentence as part of this TV commercial. So, Tony, let's play it. Welcome to the first big game ad in the metaverse. How's it a big game ad if it's not even in the same universe as the big game? Well, Relatable Farmer, because we have a culturally relevant pop star. And majestic horses. What do horses have to do with beer? America! And to appeal to the masses, we added puppies, avocados from another country, aliens, a Miller Lite robot, explosions, overly dramatic music, and more talking in. This Miller Lite beer ocean tastes great! And in a not-so-subtle attempt to get press, we'll launch this ad exclusively in the metaverse. Wait, where are we? Well, it's just like reality, but with worse graphics. Oh yeah, don't forget an iconic tagline. So there's no question in my mind, it is great PR. We're talking about it here. A lot of people are talking about it. It'll be interesting to see just what happens with it. And we're going to make you a commitment right now that we're going to follow food and the metaverse, retail and the metaverse as much as we can until we figure out fad or trend, reality or just hype. Today on the Lemper Report, I have to sound an alarm bell to grocery retailers. Yes, we're in a pandemic. Yes, there's a labor shortage. Yes, we're faced with increased food, fuel, and just about every other cost. Yes, we have a CPI of 7.5% last month. But if we want supermarkets to remain as centers of our communities, we have to bring back Bob the Butcher and Betty the Baker. The mass resignation of workers from retail and food service during the pandemic means many supermarkets are now hiring gig workers for in-house tasks like stocking shelves, assembling displays, packing online orders. Marco DiMarino, director of retail and grocery with the consulting firm Alex Partners told NBC that grocers and retailers in general are definitely looking at it now more than ever for in-store over the last couple of years. They're looking at these platforms not really as labor replacement, but as a way to scale up and down that otherwise in the current condition would be very difficult. Midwest grocer chain Meyer to discount retailer big lots, stores are buzzing with gig workers, a contingent of independent contractors who do short-term work for multiple companies. Walmart uses third-party vendors and gig workers as a complement to its existing workforce. Walmart spokesperson Ann Hatfield told NBC News. The Bureau of Labor Statistics reports that the leisure and hospitality industry lost 1.2 million jobs since February 2020, and the retail industry lost 158,000 workers during that same period of time. Target brought the gig worker concept in-house. In 2021, Target rolled out on-demand employment as an option for existing Target team members who may be full-time students, retirees, or have other scheduling needs. Workers are only required to pick up one shift every six months to retain their employment status and to receive in-store discounts. More than 30,000 team members are now on-demand workers, according to the company. The issue is that sure, short term, these strategies fill bodies in open slots, but our industry has been built on familiarity. 
knowing the supermarket manager, that cashier, the produce guy has made generations of customers into loyal shoppers. If we lose that, what's next? We've all seen and heard about these loyal shoppers from so many chains across the nation. Wegmans, Publix, Coburn's, Erwan, even some ShopRites who pride themselves on building personal relationships. We cannot afford to lose that. This week's Morning Fix from the Retail Dietitians Business Alliance brings us to Bears. Marana, Arizona Smart Greenhouse Facility, where Megan Dickens gives us the insider's look at the future of agriculture. So I've got to ask you, you know, this, this, everything behind you, you know, lots of, lots of money has been spent. You know, I, I can only imagine uh, writing the check for that. And, you know, why is this important? Why is it important as we look towards not only the future of agriculture, but we look at the fact that there's no lanes, obviously in seven acres, um, you've, you've been able to maximize the space. Uh, bring it down for us. Why is this important, an important innovation for agriculture? Sure. Really great question. So my experience having been in this industry for going on 16, 17 years now, um, I have seen a change not only in how much we can produce on a square foot of land, but how we think about using that. So I think there's a place for a lot of opportunity in this conversation from the startup greenhouse that has dirt floors and a very generic hoop house. It's a structure that provides you protection, which is essentially what this environment is. Over time, that evolves to more sophisticated manners of irrigation and supporting plants, like you see here, different kinds of benches in a more uh, formal structure that was built here I mentioned the word sustainability, and that's a really important part about what we're doing here. Arizona, and the reason we're here, is to take the most advantage of all that beautiful sunshine we get over 300 days a year. The best investment that we can make in this facility is to use all of the growing space with that beautiful prime sunlight for our plants. So instead of leaving aisleways and, dare I say, wasted space in an environment like this, we are capitalizing on that for the use of our plant growth and actually moving our plants to our people. So on the very other end of this greenhouse, we have an elevated platform where these benches are being delivered to for our teams to work with, take those observations, conduct the pollinations. And so with that, we're able to tap into all of the resources available in that growing footprint to put all that energy right into the plants. And now it's time for the bullseye. In the United States, about 42% of adults have obesity, according to the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey as of 2018. Estimates are that another third of American adults are overweight. In all, that means more than 73% of adults here in the U.S. are overweight or have obesity. But we have diet plans galore, low-calorie and low-fat foods, even surgical procedures to help, but it doesn't look as if any of those are actually helping us. New research from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill's Gillings School of Global Public Health finds that bottom of the form parents were 17% points less likely to buy sugary beverages if confronted with the images. Because parents buy most of the calories their children consume, 
This type of policy could help reduce kids' intake of sugary drinks, said senior study author and assistant professor Lindsay Smith-Talley. For the study, the researchers created a mini-mart to recreate a convenience store shopping experience. When 325 parents of kids aged 2 to 12 went shopping, some saw drink labels with graphic images representing the damage of heart disease and type 2 diabetes, while others simply saw a barcode. Parents chose one drink, one snack, and one household item for their kids. These graphic and scary picture warnings were a big deterrent. While 45% of parents who saw barcodes on labels bought a sugary drink for their child, only 28% of those who saw the picture warning made the purchase. Now, there's no question that using images like these are very controversial and will make the soda tax fights look lame in comparison. But in 2022, the world is visual. Just look at what Sally talked about with the metaverse experience. A simple warning label will not get kids or parents' attention. We have to do more before 100% of our population is overweight or obese. We can't let that happen. Maybe it's time to scare us. Sally, any comments this week? We do have a couple of comments here from John Pandall today, our top commenter each week. John says, delivery- We have to give him a badge. We're, we're, John, we're going we're gonna to create a Lemper Report badge that you could put on your social media. Yeah, we should put it on a bucket hat, a tie-dye bucket hat and send it to him. <laughs> so John says, um, delivery expectations so hard to find good help these days versus if you have a crazy boss, everybody's doing it. Quit. <laughs> yeah, and, and unfortunately, uh, certainly for this Instacart shopper, the crazy boss was the customer. Mm-hmm. And and again, life is too short, and especially everything that we've learned during the pandemic, we're all in this together. So Absolutely. you know, if you and, and a lot of the comments that I read uh, from that TikTok video, um, basically, you know, people agreed. Not only Instacart shoppers, but people agreed. Hey, she should go shopping herself if she's going to be like that. What else you got? <laughs> Yes, and I just wanted to add to that. Remember, you can go in and change that tip to reflect your gratitude for those Instacart shoppers because it's only set at 5%. And so if we remember that they've done a really good job, we can go back and increase that tip for them. Um, John Pandall also says, gig workers at the supermarket? Oh no, that's like being educated by 12 years of substitute teachers. Great catch, John. Love that. (laughs) Love that. So thank you. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, be sure to go to supermarketguru.com. Happy Valentine's Day. Check out the aphrodisiac foods. And while you're there, remember to sign up for our newsletters. Have a great week. And also next week, I'll tell you what Starlight from Coca-Cola actually tastes like.